Hey everybody, it is Comics on Infinite Earths, the final season, only a few more episodes to go. And before we close up shop, I want to talk with my friend Ken Reed about the X-Men explosion of the 80s and basically the final storyline that you read in comics before you kind of skedaddled out, right? Yeah, I mean, Inferno was like the last big storyline that I bothered with. Yeah, it's. I feel like the X-Men after that is where Chris Claremont was given almost too much free reign and it just went bananas and uh it got so confusing to me that's almost where i bailed i think it was uh, a couple years later with extinction agenda where i was like no nope, this is too much now i'm done well to me at that point it was really clear that they were making it up as they went along <laughs> because like where you get like strife oh he's really cable and kit like they did not have a plan making uh, Cable Nathan Summers. Like, that was not part of the plan. Like, it was just really evident that they were not working with a plan. Yeah. It's, it's funny because... So, I, I have never read before Mutant Massacre. That's where I started. And I went back and grabbed all the essentials. And you see... Uh, basically, where it hits its peak, I think, is when John Byrne and Chris Claremont were working together. That's when it was just like, yeah. spot on, this is all planned ahead of time, everything works out well. And you're right, I think after about 12 years of doing that, Chris Claremont was like, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but God, they're paying me a lot. Yeah, it was really, I think Dark Phoenix was the last time that it seemed like he knew where he was going. And even that, famously, uh, John Byrne was sort of responsible for making that into more than it was by... Um, that editorial edict where he destroyed a whole planet, but he just drew it that way, and that's not how Claremont wrote it. Yeah. I. Uh, so. It's funny, you think about John Byrne was like the biggest name in comic books, but I guarantee you the next generation has no idea who he is. Does he even do comic books anymore? Uh, not really. And he's also really cantankerous and kind of a dick. Oh. And um, he's he's moved back to Canada, and he's like, sort of a men's rights activist type guy. What? Yeah. Okay, he, so he's, uh, a, he's a Chuck Dixon of the uh, Marvel Universe. Great. Yeah, I mean, he's an old guy. You know, he's gone nuts. Like, he uh, he won't sign any Marvel or DC stuff if he ever does a convention. Like, he just, he's, he's lost his mind. But he's also pushed in 70, you know? Yeah, that's kind of what, yeah. I guess you can kind of be conditioned to that. And, and the new ideas piss you off. Uh, let's not go off on that tangent, though. Let's, uh, yes. So did you read before the whole overhaul of, what was it, 1974 with uh, all the new X-Men? 78, I think. Was, was it that late? Okay. I always get yeah, lost Yeah, Giant, si Giant Size X-Men 1, where they, where they brought in all the new characters. Um, I didn't, well, I started reading New Mutants first. Okay. And uh, I, I read New Mutants from issue one. And X-Men as far as new issues coming out, I caught up reading classic X-Men. Yeah, that's, that's I forgot. Movie. They used to reprint uh, Spider-Man and X-Men all the time. Yeah, Marvel Tales was uh, Spider-Man reprints and classic X-Men was X-Men reprints with some new wraparound stories. Um, but that X-Men was all reprints from only like a couple years before because it was all post-Giant Size X-Men 1. And I, I New Mutants to me was sort of a better version of what the original X-Men book should have been if it was in 1964. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great concept, but for me, I'm like, this is just rough. I, I have a very hard time 
with any old school Marvel. I mean, you can you you've dived into the '70s pretty well. For me, I I have a struggle with most of the '70s Marvel. But I like the '70s. I mean, like Ghost Rider is amazing. Their horror books are fun. Yeah, Tomb of Dragon is great. About, yeah, we talked about Werewolf by Night, which is silly, but um, like Moon Knight's amazing. Um, I think X-Men was the cornerstone, though, of the 70s where they were doing, like, really interesting stuff. Um, and even a character like Dazzler, which they created uh, initially to put out a disco record with. <laughs> really? I did uh, not know yeah. this. Yeah, so Castle, I think it was Casablanca Records came to Marvel and wanted to do, uh, like, a cross-promotion where they put out a, a disco record by this fictional character, and they did a comic about this character. And it was originally supposed to be more like a Grace Jones type uh, disco singer. But they planned to introduce her in X-Men and spin her off to her own book. And by the time they had gotten around to it, Casablanca Records had kind of decided they won't do it anymore. And the disco craze had kind of died, but they just kept the character anyway. But oh. still made it very interesting, you know. Um, and also the original X-Men were in the, the uh, Defenders when I started reading Defenders. So... Um, Iceman was in the Defenders. Beast was in the Defenders. Um, actually, I just think those two. Yeah, well, it was... I remember, only upon reflection, because I hadn't really gotten into Marvel Comics. I was a DC kid. And um, with the exception of, like, Hulk and Spider-Man. So I didn't know anything about the whole X-Men universe. But looking back on it, when they got rid of the original core team, like, they broke them up, they killed off Jean Grey, and then they're like, what do we do with Beast... Uh, Iceman and Angel will beast fit in well with the Avengers, but then like let's throw them in the champions We don't know what to do with Iceman and Angel and then they brought them into the Defenders Which is the run that you and I discussed where uh, for me that it's where it really locks in and It was only a couple years, right? Yeah, it was uh, maybe three years um, When Jam DiMatteis was doing it and uh, you had Moon Shadow and all that weird stuff I mean Beast also post original X-Men lineup that whole shift of him into like a furry blue guy is so bizarre. Yeah, and I there, guess he's, he's no even sense. more mutated now, I guess. Yeah, well, Marvel's also come up with this whole like secondary mutation garbage where like Emma Frost has like a diamond form and all, it just doesn't make any sense. I think the, I think they way over egg the pudding on X-Men. Uh-huh. Um, partly because you have a book running that long and you need to try and jazz it up. Uh, also because you, the original allegory of racism only goes so far. Um, and, you know, it's, it was their number one selling book. It was, it was overshadowing all their huge characters, and they really just tried to cash in. Yeah, I think every decade has that thing where they... Well, the 70s, it was like the Spider-Man explosion. The 80s, it was the X-Men explosion. The 90s, yeah, I... I don't know. They, I feel like they were just like foils, foil covers, and reboot everything from the seventies. We don't know what we're doing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what you know, DC. Well, if you look at it, like in the nineties, they had what, like five different Punisher books. Oh, that's and, yeah. That would be their nineties overkill. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, up to the point where you had the Punisher Arsenal, which was literally a comic book just about his weapons. And I have read those because back and in the, back in the early nineties, yep. I was kind of uh, well. I grew up in Indiana. Let's just tell you, things have yeah. changed. <laughs> We all we all did. Yeah, we all did. Um, now know, it's and, Deadpool. And also, Deadpool's so overkill yeah. now. I'm so sick of Deadpool. Well, Deadpool is just ambush book. It's like a less interesting ambush book. Yeah, I can see that. And, yeah. and it's uh, you know I was actually I was just before we started recording I was just um, about halfway through the Doom Patrol 
show, which is amazing. Oh, yes. It's, um, it's my favorite of the three. It's excellent. And that ties into uh, X-Men because Doom Patrol was a contemporary of the original X-Men. And when Claremont came on and we got the sort of all new giant size X-Men 1 team, that's much more influenced by the Doom Patrol than the original X-Men team in a lot of ways. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but it also had that really weird um, 70s, like to buy the world of Coke, like multi-racial team stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you got a great character like Storm or Colossus, but then like kind of a lame character like Sunfire. Or what was a, uh, uh, he had the sonic boom. He would fly. Dang it, he's Irish guy. Bam. Banshee. Banshee, yeah. it's You know in the beginning they're like, oh, well, we don't really need Warpath. I think they kill him like the second issue. And then they yeah. kind of filter through the team. They bring Cyclops in. No, Cyclops was with the team the entire time, right? He never left. Yes, Cyclops and Jean Grey were, were the only original members, I think, in the new X-Men. Yeah. I just remember, like, by the time I started reading X-Men, Wolverine was the reason everybody was reading X-Men. But I, I, he's one of my least favorite. I'm always a fan of, like, the C or D level. I love Nightcrawler, Colossus, Iceman. Those are my right. guys. Rogue. Right, and Wolverine's too complicated of a character in that, not, like, um, emotionally, but just, like, historically, um, which was all the sort of John Byrne stuff. But, like, New Mutants was sort of stripping stuff back because they created New Mutants in the because in the comic... The, um, the X-Men were considered dead. So Xavier went back to like his original approach. And if you look at the sort of very cartoonish Banshee versus Wolfsbane, uh, who's like their other Irish mutant, yeah. that's, that's a much more interesting character. You know what's funny is I have never read the initial... You know how... There's like three stages of the New Mutants. There's the one where they're all in the same suit. They're purely students. It's it's the Senkowitz years, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. I know ne- I've never read that. I didn't come in. I want to say until Fall of the Mutants when we had the whole Warlock and Doug and Doug gets killed and Doug Lock, yeah. The, so the Brett Blevins uh, post in, post Inferno. Yeah, years. and this is when I think they first started wearing their own costumes, and uh, I read that a lot. So I missed the whole initial run, which if I remember correctly, is more horror-based, right? Um, some of it is. So they actually they actually sort of make up for a lot of the superficial stuff they did with Giant Size X-Men 1, because, like, to your point with Warpath, who gets killed, uh, you know, in the second issue, they have Daniel Moonstar, who is um, the whole Demon Bear saga, is, like, much more respectful of um, sort of Native American uh, mythology and uh-huh. that sort of thing. Um, but it overlaps a lot with like what Byrne did with Alpha Flight, which is a straight up horror book and is very much it's almost like Pet Cemetery meets X Men. Yeah, I've been reading that. That's how we initially started this conversation because originally we were going to do like an Alpha Flight, but it's such a big scope that it is. Yeah, so Alpha Flight was another one of my jams, but I did not read the initial John Byrne run. I came in um, maybe at the very end. It's when they rip out. Uh, Sasquatch's heart. That's where I came, yeah. came in. There's like a pestilence character, and they cover people with bugs. Yeah. And I was like, and North North Star's gay and all that. Yeah, but that was much much later. That was in the '90s when I tried revisiting. There's a run of Alpha Flight where it's really fantastic. And after yeah. John Byrne leaves, it's okay. 
but it starts to lose steam almost immediately. And the fact it lasted like what 120 issues is astonishing to me because the stuff that I read like in the late 80s, early 90s, they're on fumes. And I was like, this art is well. I mean, most the art from the early 90s is just pure garbage, and, and it's a victim yeah. of that. It's the victim of the image rule. Well, it's also story-wise, I think because Wolverine was so popular they started forming everything around sort of Weapon X program. Yes, yeah. Instead of the, you know, the core of what made that book interesting. And like the two sort of weirdo X books of that time, not counting ex uh, Extinctors or the Executors, what was the one that was a miniseries that sort of um, I believe kicked off? Exterminators led into X-Factor. Inferno. Uh, Inferno. Okay. Um, it was like a weird team of this kid in a wheelchair who could build computers and uh, these two Morlocks. It was like a sort oh, of a miniseries. Oh, like was Fallen it Fallen Angels. Angels? Yeah, okay. Not Fallen Angels, but there's one called Ex Extinctors or X. It was a short miniseries that fed into Inferno. But um, the two weirdo books were Alpha Flight and Excalibur. And both of them had a very odd... Um, tied to sort of magic and to specific places. So Alpha Flight was very Canadian. Obviously Excalibur was very British. Um, but they went into mythology a lot more, um, which made them stand out and they didn't get involved in the sort of Weapon X stuff, which got a little lame. Yeah, it, they really pushed that so hard. I remember that, that's when they started developing like Omega Flight and Gamma Flight, and they're all centered around uh, the Weapon X program, so they had like their own version of like a Sabretooth, which was uh, yep. Wild Child or something. Like that. Yeah, it's been, it, it started to fall apart, but I, I say those first few years are phenomenal, and I read the Reunion uh, comic by Greg Pak, which is an eight-issue limited series, which is just a love letter to the entire world of Alpha Flight, and it may be the greatest thing that, that has ever been written for that team. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think people overlooked it or looked at it as like a novelty sort of Canadian X Men, and it's it's not. It's kind of its own thing, and it also ties into Canada really interestingly because it's it's sort of a state sanctioned X Men. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is sort of in very much in keeping with the sort of democratic socialism of Canada. Yeah, but that's the thing about the miniseries. Um, the Great Pac miniseries is a Donald Trump kind of character is now running Canada, and he uses fear um, to run the government, and then since the Alpha Flight team won't work with him, then he basically sets them up as traitors to the country, that they're terrorists. Right. Now they have to hide in America with the help of Wolverine now. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's that... I think X-Men works best when the characters are on the run or having to hide. Yeah. Um, so they have to sort of be clandestine with the things that they're doing. I think the, the two things that really, I don't, I don't want to say beginning of the end because they were incredibly popular, um, but the two things that were good stories that ended up being too influential on X-Men in general is the Dark Phoenix Saga and also the Days of Future Past, which was only a two issue arc. Yeah, I didn't and, even know that. I thought it was so much longer than I read. I was like, oh, we're, we're done? You based a movie on this? <laughs> it's two issues. It's two issues, and they based everything on that. Uh, and that's where, you know, you get the cable story. You get I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, 
And reading later in life, there are, there are characters that I liked that I had a feeling they made up things as they went along. Or what, one thing that would happen is a writer would be working on a, a X book and plant seeds to be paid off later and then leave the book. And the person who took over for them didn't know what those seeds were supposed to grow into. and Or didn't care. Like, like a studio executive care. taking over, ditching all the old projects. Right, so they so they reverse engineered some garbage, and so the 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 worst case of that is the character of Mister Sinister, in X Force, I'm oh, not X Force, X Factor, and Mister Sinister is a silly character, and it was designed that way, and the original concept of Mister Sinister, do you know this story? I uh, no, I always get him confused. This sounds so stupid. I get him confused with um, oh damn it. He's the one that's in. Uh, he was the villain in the last um, X Men Apoc- movie. Apoc- Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Thank you. I almost said Armageddon. I was yeah. like, that's not right. Well, well, they so they they sort of intertwined them, and the the two had nothing to do with each other initially. So uh, Scott Summers was in a orphanage in the in the origins of of the X Men, and Mister Sinister was uh, a character that sort of menaced him in the orphanage, and what the character was supposed to be was another orphan who had a mutant ability and he basically created this almost like a Shazam persona okay of Mr. Sinister and it was so it was like a child's version of what a villain would be <laughs> which made sense and made you know why the character would be called Mr. Sinister he's yeah, like a yeah, yeah. Man, you know? I never knew that uh, yeah and they dropped that and they made him like apocalypse's scientist <laughs> and it just it, it didn't make any sense. It was ridiculous. And then everything became about apocalypse. And um, it just, I, I don't like that storyline. Um, and and that all started to turn after Inferno, really. And I love that run. And it sounds like when you dipped into New Mutants was when that happened. But that's when you had, like, Magneto was running this. Right, movie. I forget. Yeah, yeah. He was, try- he was trying to, to, um, to, like, you know, make amends for what he what he'd done and what he'd been and that was very interesting you know i think the biggest problem with the x-men universe is by the time the 90s rolled around everybody who they do everybody's just dying over and over like how many times do we have to see this how many times did professor x uh die how many times did wolverine you know get oh, oh now his metal's being taken out of his body oh now his bones are being turned to sponge you know and, and he had to make bones out of or a, a claws out of bone and it, it just you're constantly killing people over and over in cyclops and i just got exhausted by all of it I don't think there's a higher yeah. body count than the X-Men universe. I mean, I think that's inherently a problem with Marvel. Because when I when I compare the two companies' approaches, DC has very archetypical characters. And the continuity sort of doesn't matter. It's it, You just need the essence of the character, and then you could tell any story. Whereas Marvel... And the thing that people like about it uh, is the soap opera quality and the continuity and how the characters, you know, supposedly change and move with their experiences. But because of that, they're constantly having to reinvent or erase or retrocon or kill them and resurrect. Like it just it it, it causes that inherently by that approach, and that gets it, it makes it hard to stick around for a long time with that comic. Yeah, the DC Universe, the only problem with them is that they reboot every other year, and it's so frustrating because I 
maybe I'm part of the old school where I like seeing comic books build in number. Like, I feel like this big, massive journey, and I don't want reboots. I don't want overhauls. The only reason you ever do that is that the series is not selling, and then you, you know, change your approach and maybe, you, you know, do it again. But if it's working, why do they constantly, every other year, they're having a Crisis on Infinite Earths ripoff? Well, it's because it gets, it gets uh, you know, uh, press, and it brings on new readers. Yeah, I guess. Um, Man, a couple of them have been so floundered. And it gives them an excuse to start at zero so that they can do an adaption for other media. I think that's the big thing in recent years. Yeah. Um, like the new 52, where, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the approach of DC in the 90s, where they basically said, we can have five Batman books that aren't intertwined, and they're all different takes on Batman, and, the, you know, one book doesn't affect the other. Whereas, you know, X-Men, whereas if you look at Spider-Man, which had, what, four Spider-Books going at that time? You had Web of Spectacular, Amazing, and then just Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. And they would they would all sort of have to tell stories that complemented each other. So you're getting a full issue every week, which just became a mess. Well, yeah, and plus, I always felt like the ones that weren't connected, it was the lowest grade possible. It's like, okay, so here's how it works. The best team works on... <laughs> um, Spider-Man. Then the second best team works on Amazing Spider-Man. Third best goes down to Spectacular, and then we got Web, where it's just like the lower level. Like the art could be good, but then the stories suck. And that's the way they would kind of break down. Marvel would do that. It's like, which one's the top tier and then the lower quality? Whereas, like you said, DC just had a different attitude with each spinoff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you could you could have, you know, Batman the Animated Series, Batman Adventures running at the same time as Legends of the Dark Knight, and Batman and Detective Comics... And they're, they're all sort of different um, shades of the same character that sort of tell different aspects of their story. And D DC was cool with that, whereas Marvel sort of held on much more to continuity and sort of editorial edicts that, you know, I, it could really backfire sometimes. Yeah. But um, the other spinoffs... Um, I would say Excalibur is kind of the higher-minded one, which has... I think a crazier flavor. For me, it was a little harder to get into. I, I bought that first graphic novel. You know how it wasn't the regular series; it was the thicker prestige format one, which like yes. was like a few bucks more. Yep. And I read yeah. it, and I was like, "This is different," and I'm not sure I'm mature enough to get into this. But this seems—I know you well enough. You probably like this is my jam. I, I loved Excalibur because it's it's it built on Alan Moore's Captain Britain stuff, which really reinvented Captain Britain sort of in the same way that he reinvented Miracle Man or Marvel Man. Yeah. Um, where he essentially made Captain Britain this um, person who's sort of been viewed with the powers of Britannia, sort of in the, in the, uh, in line of like King Arthur and all, like tied it to all that stuff. And so it became this very, very British comic and was much more like Grant Morrison stuff. And so they would also do sort of comedy stuff or more, um, more self-aware stuff. They also got really influenced by the Mojo-verse stuff, which is a really weird X-Men side sort of universe. Uh, because Longshot, who joined the X-Men later, started as a completely unrelated series. There was a Longshot miniseries yeah, that was I read supposed that one. to be for, That one's heavy into the yeah. Mojo-verse. It is, and that, that is what the Mojoverse was. It was a totally 
um, different universe. Longshot was unrelated to the regular Marvel universe. I think it was supposed to be for Epic Comics originally, and they decided to fold it into mainstream Marvel continuity, so they made him a mutant, which he wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's what I was about to ask you. I was like, I don't think he was a mutant, and they just kind of slapped him in there. But he was dating Dazzler. Well, I guess that was by proxy he was an X-Men? I don't know. He, they wrote him as a mutant later. He had luck powers. So he created a heightened uh, probability zone around him so that he had really good luck. He had mullet powers, what he had. <laughs> yeah, he had mullet powers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever read Captain Canuck. I think you and I briefly discussed it, but um, it seems like it was an influence on the stuff that Chris Claremont was doing because he's Canadian, uh, Captain Canuck was Canadian, and it has that surreal feel that would be eventually show up in Excalibur and um, Alpha Flight. Yeah, and I, I, I like that because those books have their, definitely have a completely different vibe from, from the X books. And it wasn't just like X-Men and Uncanny X-Men. It was like, no, these are totally different. You know? Yeah, I mean, it had the characters. Um, this is what, post-Mutant Massacre, and that's kind of how the team divided up. If I remember correctly... Uh, it was Fall of the Mutants. I God, I can never remember that storyline, even though I read it. For some reason, most of the X Men get sucked up and sent to another alternate universe or something, and they leave yeah, them behind the injured, right? Yeah, there's Extinction Agenda and Fall of the Mutants. Fall of the Mutants, I think, is when they're believed dead, but they're all living in Australia. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, that weirdo story. Yeah, yeah, and that's where you get like punk rock, Storm, and um, it, it gets very confusing. Um, yeah, it's very odd. <laughs> they, again, they kept having to reinvent, reinvent everything. Yeah. And, you know, and then there's a virus. and the, it, It's just like, come on, man. I, I get, you can't just end the book, I guess, and it can't be just a series of miniseries. But when you have a team book like that, and the sort of history and continuity is so important, it, it just collapses on itself. Some of my favorite X stories are actually in what ifs because they're able to tell a self-contained story. So there's like one where um, Storm becomes a vampire because that was a there's a two issue X-Men arc where they fight Dracula. That's right. I forgot about that. Back in the 70s, they had a crossover to yeah. Dracula, which is is that the only time or did he ever face? I feel like he faced off with Doctor Strange during one of the issues. Yeah, yeah Dracula. Dracula popped up in a, a few different X, uh, not X, but just Marvel Comics as a villain. But that one, um, because there's a whole other side of Storm that they sometimes would explore, sometimes didn't. They definitely did in the Magic miniseries where she is a sorceress. She's like an African princess or queen and has magic abilities. <laughs> and uh, basically Dracula is trying to take her as a bride but there's a what if issue where he succeeds and sort of it, they ripped it off later with the Marvel zombies, but essentially the, the X-Men turned most of the universe vampire. Oh, nice. Yeah. That does sound like they lifted that idea from Marvel zombies, an idea they exhausted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a storyline that should be, it's a one movie story, you know, <laughs> and they're trying to make it go forever because it made money. Yeah. The, um, Actually, I don't even know if I even read What If. I know I read What The a bunch, if you remember that one. What The, what the was really fun. Is that uh, Hembeck? And I also love... Hembeck did some stuff for it, but it was... Marvel did a comic called Not Brand Etch. Right. In the 70s. That was their sort of... 
what happened was they were getting parodied and things like Mad and Cracked, so they figured they could do it better themselves, um, and they didn't. But then, and then they did Crazy, um, but they brought it back in the late '80s. Uh, yeah, with uh, with what the which yeah. I loved. But <laughs> what 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 if was Marvel's Elseworlds basically? Basically, yeah, yeah. Which an idea both of them ditched, except for all of a sudden they announced they're going to do a what if animated series, and I'm like, huh? That's a crazy idea, and it it would only work in animation, though. Yeah, it's it's weird because what if sort of it, it rewarded you for being a longtime comics fan because it would revisit these pretty obscure storylines and be like, you know, literally, what if this happened instead? And if you weren't familiar with those storylines, you could still enjoy the story, but it was much more exciting if you had read and were familiar with the original you know, way that it went. Yeah, I feel like I read an Armor Wars one where I guess Tony Stark actually got killed instead of pretending to be killed and, you know, a whole new person took over Iron Man. That was, yeah, it's a, it's a fun idea where you're not trapped in the continuity and right. pretty much anything goes, which I, it has to be freeing for the team that puts that together. Yeah, and also as a longtime comics reader, it makes the stakes higher because, you know, if someone dies, they're dead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, they're gonna come back, or they're, you know, whatever, or whatever it is. And yeah, it. Um, I had to, I had to ditch X Men after that, because after Inferno, because that's when they really started getting just silly with like, literally, you bring in an evil twins. When you bring in evil twins and you bring in time travel and clones. I'm out. Yeah, that's why I did. That's why I left Spider Man. When they were like, no, this hasn't been Spider Man for years. It's a whole new. I was like, no, stop it. I'm done. No, time travel, clones, and evil twins. You've run out of ideas. It's the the Christmas episode of comics. (laughs) Well, the the one thing that got so confusing was, and I forget now, Jean Grey died because she turned Dark Dark Phoenix, but the spirit left and became. There was another Phoenix, right? There was another Phoenix that joined the X Men in the late. Like 180, 190s issue. There's Rachel Summers, right? Who is the future child of Scott and? Um, oh come Jean on! Gray. Really? I never knew oh, that. So you're telling me yeah. both of their kids are? Oh right. <laughs> well, so Cable isn't Jean Grey's son. He's the son of Rachel Pryor, who is a clone of no, Jean Grey. Right, right, right. It's made by Mister Sinister. Um, to, it's it's ridiculous. So yeah, so the so the the phoenix from the days of future past future comes back to present day. She's like a punk rock Jean Grey and has some of the phoenix force, but not all of it. She joins Excalibur. Um, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Now, Captain Britain is not a mutant, correct? He is not. No, okay. he is. Um, he is imbued with magical powers based on sort of old Celtic and sort of uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon mythology. Is that the only time they really didn't they didn't retcon uh, a hero and he was on basically what is an X-Men team? Um, I can't remember any other. Well, well, hold on. Duh, Warlock was not. He was not a mutant, right? Well, they said he was a mutant because his race of aliens were basically brainiac. They just, um, they infect uh, beings with their electro uh, mutagen virus and then 
absorb their life force and memories and oh, they God. have no feelings feelings or empathy so because he had feelings and empathy that was his mutation okay that also makes him the villain of any other comic book <laughs> yes exactly um i'm trying to think who wasn't a mutant well alpha flight um snowbird was not a mutant that's you well alpha flight it's part of the x-men universe but they never felt like uh, like a direct spin-off that was because it's so confusing because yes because they're all part of the same program of department h right but like snowbird is very similar to captain britain in that she is a, a mystical being that's yeah. powered by canada so that was one of the weird things about that comic that specific character could not leave canadian soil or she died oh wow do you think that's one of the last great teams that's never been adapted to uh, you know, a comic or a cartoon or TV series or movie? Do you think it'll ever happen? I feel like you can't. It's um, it's very niche. I don't know if it would have that. Uh, I you know what? If if something like Doom Patrol became more of a mainstream hit, I think you could do an Alpha Flight in that style. Yeah, it seems too expensive for like Disney Plus. It just there's too many big ideas yeah. and special effects, especially like on the transformations. And the fact that Shaman can open all these different portals. If if it would be going to TV, it'd be very expensive. Well, what am I talking about? They're doing a Mandalorian TV show, so maybe they will do it. Yeah, I mean, they're, but, you know, I liked The Gifted had aspects of that. Um, you know, and it, it, basically they just made X-Men, they made the new mutants mixed with the fugitive. Yeah. Rule number one, don't do a comic book show for Fox. It will last two seasons well, at best. Go to WB or go to cable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but it got made at all, which is kind of cool. That's true. I mean, we did before that. All we had was Mutant X, which I don't even think is actually technically part of the X Men universe, even though it's produced by those guys. No, I don't think. So. Okay. I don't think so either. Um, but uh, the Gifted was as close to, uh, aside from the New Mutants movie, which will come out eventually. One of these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is as close to a New Mutants adaptation as we're going to get. Like there was a new character, but he was essentially Sunspot. You had, you know. Um, Warpath was in it. Like, there's some interesting characters. Um, oh, Legion. Legion is a New Mutants X character. Uh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's uh, Xavier's son, right? It is, yeah. Who is a very similar character to Crazy Jane and, and Doom Patrol in that he has multiple personality disorder and each personality has a different ability. We, uh, we adjusted the previous episode of this. We talked about the DC Universe, uh, the shows that are on the app. And I was trying to tell Jacob, who's um, about 12 years younger than me, I go, dude, at one time, Teen Titans was as big as the X-Men. I know it's hard to believe because they're not true. It was bigger. Yeah, it's so strange. But the minute I think Wolfman and Perez left is when it kind of went downhill and it's never really regained. Well, I, the, the unusual thing about Teen Titans, which is also why Legion of Superheroes was so popular was because they were sort of Marvel-style DC books in that they were big on continuity, they were big on the sort of soap opera, um, and they were sort of unusual for DC. I've never been able to get into Legion of Superheroes, and I feel stupid for not being able to do it. I know Levitz and those guys really put together a good team and everybody talks about it, but I've never been able to get into it. Me either. The only thing I liked was... Do you remember maybe 10 years ago, I think it was on the WB, they had a Legion of Superheroes cartoon? No. It was Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and it 
it did the thing that Justice League and Justice League Unlimited managed to do, where it sort of distilled the best parts of decades of continuity and okay, stories okay. into, you know, while while sort of jettisoning stuff that didn't work and sort of combining some things to make it make more sense. And so I actually really liked that. It was like a simplified version of Legion. But yeah, I could never get into the comic either. Yeah, there's some series that people like hold up high and I'm just like, it's just not, I'm too stupid. Like uh, Animal Man, I'm too stupid. I like Grant Morrison, his run on JLA well, is great. But I was like, I wish I was smart enough to get like, I, I've never been able to read Doom Patrol. I've never really been able to get into the Swamp Thing. It's just, it's hard for me, I don't know why. I mean, Morrison, especially his early stuff, which is a little clunkier, he's obsessed with characters being self-aware, like the fact that they are comic book characters. He has this obsession with um, the fact that these characters have outlived their creators. So in his mind, they are alive. Um, So in the Doom Patrol, and much more literally, uh, in many ways, in Animal Man, he essentially built towards these storylines where the characters become aware that they're comic book characters. That's not, that's kind of a new thing where they're not those weren't humor books, right? Like not like the ambush bug and stuff like that where right. it's it tongue in cheek. Not, right. It is not done in a funny way at all. Huh. It's done in a it's done in a way that we are all existing on separate planes of reality and they are just as valid a real thing as we are. Um, and it works better in some places than others, but there are stories and, and some of it Animal Man that he's done where it's very unsettling because essentially he writes it in a way where the characters turn and look at you reading them and see you. Oh, that's unnerving, but brilliant. You know? Yeah, and that's what he was going for. And sometimes he was more successful than others. And he sort of, he didn't totally ditch that later, but he managed to do it in more subtle ways. Um, Swamp Thing was much more literal and a straight horror book. but Morrison constantly was going back to that sort of self-awareness, um, nature of stories kind of thing. Who's the narrator? Who's controlling? Who kind of thing? Yeah, and he went over to X Men. I think about what ten years ago. It seems like uh, almost everybody went over to X Men just to dabble. I think Warren Ellis did a great job. Grant Morrison did a fine job, and Alan Moore is pretty much done. Those are like the big three, right? Am I missing somebody? I feel like I miss. Oh, Neil Gaiman, but he's Neil never. Gaiman. He's, he's never going to really dabble in. Uh, Marvel Universe, except for, what was it, 1602? Yeah, which was terrible. Um, And, well, it was... He tried to apply a DC concept to Marvel characters, and and it didn't work. So, like, for example, you know, because Batman is, you know, guy dresses up as a bat to avenge his dead parents, you could put that character in Victorian England, you could put him in medieval time, like, it works the same. Whereas what he tried to do with 1402 or whatever it was, was to, like, the Hulk in medieval times. Okay, that doesn't really work, because Marvel's always been about now. Whereas, what I love about DC is they're reflective on their entire history. The, the JSA is one of the greatest comic books they've ever done, and it's all about the long history of DC, rewarding the fans that have been sitting around. Whereas Marvel does seem like it's about what is of the moment in the world that kids can connect to. Well, yeah, and Marvel always tries to tie things to science, even though it's just as bullshit science as magic in another comic. Yeah. Whereas DC always leaned into magic more, which I think when you tie things to science, 
you run the risk of them becoming dated instantly. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't it because of the whole comic book scare is where they had to connect more to alien races and magic and not pure criminals and, you know, science and stuff like that? Where was it the 60s when we had like the whole science Adam craze? Yeah, I mean, I think that was part of it, too. I think people were just obsessed with science, you know, so you had the Hulk, which was A-bombs. You had radioactive, you know, radioactivity. You had gamma rays. You had, you know, space radiation, you know, so it was all that kind of thing. Um, and if you look at the Silver Age DC characters, which a lot of them were reinvented Golden Age characters who had previously been magically powered. So, like, Golden Age Flash was a magic character. Golden Age Green Lantern was a magic character, but Silver Age Flash and Silver Age Green Lantern are science characters. Right. Wasn't the original Flash, and, am I wrong in thinking he got his powers from something insane like hard water? What the hell is that wasn't, even mean? <laughs> the Golden Age Flash? Yeah, I feel like he had something insane, like he got his power from hard water, which I don't even know what that even, what is that, what is hard water? I don't know what that would be. Um, are you thinking the Adam? I maybe I don't know. It was something so bonkers. I sat back going, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That's just dumb. <laughs> Golden Age, if I'm remembering, Golden Age Flash literally had like Mercury's shoes. <laughs> it was something like maybe. that. Maybe they've redone the origins too so many times. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you look at the Spectre, and I know we're getting way off. Oh no, it doesn't like, even matter right like, now. We're. And yeah. this is our final run, basically, on this show together, so I have one last trick up my sleeve before we go. Yeah, but I mean, essentially, you know, the Spectre was the Wrath of God. <laughs> Literally, it was the Wrath of God. That yeah, and Spectre came out during the whole, like, during the craze of, like, the Shadow. It was more like these uh, Dark Avengers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, uh... Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it, 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 which is also why I liked Inferno, because it was magic characters. Yeah, and well, also the horror aspect. It, it came back, and it seems like horror disappeared in the 90s, and I do not count Ghost Rider in that whole Spirits of Vengeance. That was bullshit. I barely count that as horror. Yeah, 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 that was real bad. It's extreme horror, which isn't horror. I, it's, it's, you can't just take a, a guy like him and just turn into an action hero. That's not the point. No, Johnny Blaze has a shotgun that shoots uh, Hellfire. And, yeah, no, Vin Diesel has Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, that's... In my bag. <laughs> the um, I guess the last thing I want to say is something we talked about a couple years ago. And since we have some time, uh, we're never gonna be able to do this again. So I wanted to ask you real quick about Cracked or Mad. Now that Mad is basically wrapping up everything and closing his doors. Yeah, um, I'm a Cracked guy. Um, reason being, uh, um, Mad in the '80s seemed very '70s. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I and went I back and read some issues, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of women's lib jokes in 1988. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, because they had older guys doing it, and Cracked, because they were desperate, they ended up hiring guys like Daniel Klaus and um, uh, uh, Bill Ray and these underground comics artists who were doing things like The Ugly Family and just weirder stuff because they had to. Um, that looked more cutting edge. Yeah, it, it looked like crack... uh, it looked like um, like the SCTV or uh, Kids in the Hall of that magazine because it just seemed like what what ideas are new and fresh and won't cost us very much. That's what they're gonna go with. 
Yeah, and you're literally presenting stuff by the guys who did Ghost World and Eight Ball and Hate, you know, uh, and Ren and Stimpy later. So you're you're getting these more cutting edge people because they're cheaper and they'll be more experimental. But also, Cracked from sort of the inception was also way more obsessed with horror, and they would do these monster party issues yeah, and the Blob, um, the Talking Blob. I mean, yeah. that was a running gag for years. Oh yeah, and I I love that stuff. So that. That always endeared me to Cracked a little bit more. Um, but I always loved Mad. Um, it just seemed more old-fashioned. Well, like, it's, you know, you're... to me, it seems like the way, you know how SNL is obsessed with the reoccurring characters? That's how Mad Magazine yeah. seemed to be. They had to have their bits. They always had to have the same thing every issue, which I think exhausted the creators of Fresh Ideas were... Cracks really had what? Maybe they had shut-ups. I don't even remember a lot of their reoccurring gags. They had shut-ups. They had um, Nanny Dickering, who was their like interview character. They had um, the Ugly Family, which came in in the in the eighties. But yeah, for the most part, it, it wasn't. Um, it definitely wasn't as uh, regulated as Mad, and it was definitely more gross out. And they also did a magazine, all the people who did Cracked had a magazine called Monsters Attack. And it was a, it only made about four issues, but it was sort of in the vein of Creepy and Eerie, but very 80s. It was like a serious crack. Oh, really? I've never heard of this one. Yeah. It came up maybe 88 to 92 and uh it would have um you know comic stories that were horror stories but it would also have articles like fangoria really um yeah it's amazing i have a pdf of the first three issues i could send you oh yeah totally i've never even heard of this and this is when i was like horror crazy i was the kid who told my mother i'd go get errands at the grocery store and then spend 20 minutes reading fangoria and gore zone until one of the clerks came around and were like Aren't you a little young to be reading that? I'm like, uh, oh, I didn't realize what I was reading. I was looking for something else, you know. Right, right, right. Gorezone, you say? What? <laughs> I read that. I meant Horizon. No, I made it worse. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for Horizon. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, who was the one that went from? There was one artist who was able to work at both magazines. Was it Duck Ewing or was it Don Ewing? He had, he had a or nickname. Todd. Mort Todd uh, went to both. Oh, Don, um, the guy who made the feet that would go. Oh, Don over, Adams. Like, hang over. Yeah, yeah. He worked at Crack later. They poached him. Okay. I, I was always wondering because I thought maybe he worked at the same time, but I bet you he was so popular that I bet you that Mad Magazine uh, just reposted like his old stuff because if anybody was timeless and could work, you know, uh, just any subject. It was him, and I would say also Sergio Aragonis was also pretty universal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, his best stuff was Gru that he did for Epic. Oh, I love Gru, yeah, yeah. You know, again, when he got to do whatever he wanted, um, he did some really interesting stuff. And actually, he did really great horror comedy one-pagers in House of Secrets and House of Mystery for really? DC in the 70s. Uh, different style or same style? Same style. Wow. Same style, but they... You know, it's an anthology book, so they'd let him do, you know, a, a two-pager or something. It was pretty great. Yeah, I look back on some of the old night magazines, and yes, it's it's always like a decade behind in the current attitude. But I, I can't even get to the movie spoofs. Like, that's not even what I'm interested in, which Cracked did movie spoofs or TV spoofs, 
but they weren't so heavily hinged on that. Yeah, they. I feel like they kind of had to do it because that's what they were doing in Mad, but it, their, their hearts weren't in it. Yeah. The, um, it's just Mad Magazine was so much bigger, and the fact that it's lasted this long always shocks me. I have a subscription, but they're done doing original stuff, and it's kind of heartbreaking because I don't think they've ever been cooler or edgier than they are right now. Yeah, but it's, you know, sadly printed media is dying, and that the the reason they could get away with doing that stuff edgier now is the same reason that they don't have a sustainable business model. Yeah, that does seem like usually at the end when things are freeing up because nobody cares about them anymore. But I can't imagine that uh, being so heavily anti-Trump did not hurt them. Because uh, I know, you know they did the relaunch. They only did like five yes. issues under the relaunch. When they were in New York, they hammered Trump so hard and then they moved to Los Angeles. They still did it, but only a little bit. And I was like, okay, this is like some weird studio executive taking over, saying you can't do this kind of thing as heavily. You're pissing readers off or something. And I think, I knew the minute they moved to Los Angeles is when it was trouble. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but also like, I don't think, you know, Trumpers are reading, well, are reading, um, but also they're not people who like comedy. Yeah, that's true. Their I idea mean, of comedy always shocks me. I was like, you, this is funny to you? Carrot Top is the punch, best! They're punch-down people, you know what I mean? They're, mm. It's it's humor, and it doesn't tend to be very interesting or smart. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a, it's kind of the end of an era, but, uh, I mean, come on. If anybody knew how to capitalize on collected editions, it was Mad Magazine. I wish they cracked... I know it's still it's still around in the the blog form or whatever it is now, but I wish somebody would go back and do the archives like they would they would uh, do with eerie and creepy. There has to be somebody out there who has the rights who can just do big uh, collector's editions for the fans. I wonder though because it cracked has a very complicated history um, as far as uh, their ownership goes. Yeah, and it. it, it They've had issues where they're like, you know, it does, you don't know who owns what. It's um, it's complicated. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like National Lampoon, where I believe in 1989, Marty, oh crap, Marty Robbins, I can't remember. Oh he, yeah, he sold yeah. it off, but he only sold off the film production company, and he sold it to Tim Matheson. So the publication was with somebody else, and then the radio show was also with somebody else. And then they had all the old TV specials and movie stuff all bouncing around. And then Tim Matheson realized that they weren't getting anywhere with it, so they sold it off to someone else who just licensed out the name. It wasn't actually a production studio. And then, of course, right. the magazine switched owners, and then changed its format, and then shut down and then went online only. Yeah, that's got to be a person. Someone's out there. I mean, if you can find the rights, I would say there's got to be a fan base out there. Yeah, or even just reprinting, like, The Ugly Family. Like, that's sort of lost Daniel Klaus. Yeah, you, you know? could put it as a book. Yeah, I would say if you're going to do it, do it like the way they do it sometimes with Mad, where they do, like, the best of the 60s, best of the 70s, best of the 80s, best of the certain artist, best of the certain character. That's the kind of thing you should, that would probably sell better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, wow, it's, it's, it's come to the end. Uh, I guess the last question I'm going to ask, favorite X-Men? Ooh, favorite X-Men individual characters. No, no, just, uh, it, not, it doesn't have to be a single character, but just like your you know, your, your favorites, your go-tos. I mean, Magic. Always loved that character. 
uh, has sort of a weird, just such a bizarre, tragic backstory. It yeah. has that sort of darkness. I pronounced it um, Magic for years. Magic. Really? I'm, a, I'm an oh, idiot. Yeah. I'm an idiot, okay? I'm, I'm... Well, <laughs> if you haven't heard it out loud, that's what happens. Um, I thought it was Magneto. I, Magneto for a long time. Oh, <laughs> that would make sense. That would make sense. Um, I love Warlock. <laughs> really loved Warlock. Um, I was so upset when they killed Warlock that like just absolutely destroyed me. Well, wasn't he, it was like a uh, virus, right, that destroyed him? I can't remember. Something. No, they killed him real quickly. Like it was ridiculous. They um, they had him in Genosha, and they just basically just blew him up. What? <laughs> it was Leefeld. Oh, yeah, it was no, a really okay. unbecoming. It's a really unbecoming death of a, of an interesting character. It was just such a weird character. Probably because um, he couldn't yeah, draw his feet. Too. <laughs> yeah, or any of him. Can, can I can I put a bandolero on him? No. Can I twist his torso yeah. around? No. Damn it. Well, it was such an inherently Bill Sinkowitz character that was just crazy. Like he had no, he had no specific form. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was like, if there was ever a character that I'm like, only one artist can draw this, even though that wasn't the case, it was that character. That's a lot of fun. So I'd go with those two. All right. Cool. Um, hey, thank you for uh, joining me for this episode. It's been a four-year journey, but um, for the listeners at home who don't know yet, um, I'm kind of overwhelmed with all the shows that we're doing, and I'm just combining Back in Tunes, Comics on Infinite Earths, Next Planet Over, all of it, just a whole nerd show called Hit Rewind, and just combining all these nerd topics into one show. It's just it's just a lot easier on me. So I, It's I, also that's the world we live in now. Yeah, I don't know why I felt I needed to separate all this stuff into different shows. It seems insane now. I, I still don't even understand where I came up with the name Back in Tunes. It's stupid. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. I just... <laughs> it sounds like it's a thing, though. Yeah, I know. It's like Back in Time, and then I said Back in Tunes, and we just like, ah, fuck it, let's just go with this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so that'll be the new I show like... that's launching soon, and... Uh... I mean, if you, I would love to have you on for small segments. So that we're not going to do long episodes like this anymore. But um, I, I appreciate all the times you've come on the show for the bed. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. I apologize that I uh, uh, am extremely forgetful and am bad with my schedule. That's fine. Um, but if you love talking TV, all sorts of retro stuff, where can they hit you up at? I'm uh, TVGuidanceCounselor.com. Uh, all the episodes are there. I'm um, going back out to LA next month, so I should have some some good episodes there. But nice. we're yeah, we're like over 400 episodes, which is 400 ridiculous. episodes. That's amazing. It's it's much more committed than I have. I think this is only we've been doing this for four years. I think this is only episode 67. <laughs> it's so hard when it comes to comic books. Yep. To get people to read but an art got... or something like that, it's just, it's always been a challenge. But you also have multiple shows too. Yeah, and and of course the 40 hour uh, thing every week at a job that kills my soul yeah. <laughs> oh yes tell me about it yeah <laughs> all right so tv guidance counselor podcast it's going on almost sixth anniversary now yeah february will be six years you can catch uh where we can catch all your t-shirts you have some really rad t-shirts oh yeah t public i'll uh, i'll upload a lot of weird um defunct retail stores <laughs> or like old tv stuff yeah yeah it's, it's uh, great yes. And, uh, I can read on T Public. Yeah, it's uh, it's great stuff. Um, so everybody, just catch us on Facebook under Back in Tunes, which of course we'll be changing into Hit Rewind uh, in probably about a month here. And um, everybody, have a good night. Goodbye. <laughs>